welcome to Catch Outdoors. I'm your host, Captain Rob Modis. Catch Outdoors is presented by the Waypoint Podcast Network at waypointtv.com. Got a couple of books available on Amazon, Kindle Bridge to Paradise, a book of short stories and some of my travel writing over the past 15 or 20 years or so. Also, what I know about fishing Southwest Florida. If you live on that coast or you're planning to visit the Sanibel Fort Myers area for a little fishing, you should probably check it out. Book three's in the works has a working title, Take a Kid Fishing, a guide for introducing youngsters to the world of angling. Working on it, people, working on it. Yep, looking forward to getting it out there. This is episode 45, titled The Bucket List. (laughs) Yes, indeed, the bucket list for the world of fishing, of course. Mostly about species, but I might just mention a few pieces of fishing gear and equipment, too, that are on my bucket list and probably on others. You know, those must-have things. Anyhow, before I start this off, I do want to mention something right quick that's really making the rounds at the show, at the uh, ICAST show up in Orlando. I mentioned this was in last week's podcast. Um, I want to mention something really important, Dolvita. Dolvita, that's the name of the company. Perhaps this will be on somebody's bucket list. Um Chris Gorski, Sam Fossey, Weiler, Jens, and Michael Lindsay, and Max King. All these boys are from the uh, Fort Myers area. Uh, FGCU is the college there. I met several of them during um, a tournament that they were holding for a fallen fallen uh, friend of theirs, a first fishing friend. And uh, so years later, I run into them at the ICAST show, and they are selling a product uh, called the uh, Dolvita. Uh, it's like a fish. It's, a, it's a, a, a drying box, for lack of a better description, but it's really interesting. Um, go online. It's dolvitafishing.com. I just I want to give them a little plug because that, that, that was where I spent 20 years guiding, and, and I, met these, I met a lot of different people during tournaments and a lot of people putting on tournaments. And then I did a radio show, and I would, I would talk them up on the radio show and let people know about the good things that these tournament people are doing. And um, this product that they came out with is basically a dehumidifier for reels. Um, they can stay attached to your rod. It goes into this box. It closes up on it. It's it's sealed around the rod itself. You could also put your pliers and things like that in there. But it completely eliminates and takes away um, the uh, humidity. And you can actually set it so it does does that in a way that... Uh, <laughs> I mean, it's incredible, actually. Uh, grease typically turns black in reels. That's one of its big biggest problem and, and I don't care what color it's gonna be red blue white clear it'll start to go black because of the moisture inside of a fishing reel um, and that's something you have to pay, basically rebuild and replace this product that they're selling actually eliminates the humidity and the grease stays relatively normal for a year or more they tested it for three years I think they said um, so anyway, to me as a, as a user, it's really great. Also, a lot of people keep their rods and reels in the garage where the humidity is higher than in a house. And this box could actually be kept in the garage and you could or storage and you could actually put them in there when you get finished washing them and it will literally dry them out. Um, advanced, really cool, well thought out. So check it out. It's D-O-L-V-I-T-A, uh, dolvitafishing.com. So see, see what it's all about. Bucket list, right? Yeah, bucket list. Yeah, now back to the real work at hand here. Okay, so let's talk bucket list. Fishies. Little fishies, big fishies. My former guiding 
career. Uh, I had everybody you can imagine. Uh, but one of the most important things you can do is take somebody out who is a writer, uh, whether it's you know magazine, articles, newspaper, whatever, to get your name out there and to get promoted. Um, and uh, you always hope to do a good trip. But I did learn something about the people that write Matt for magazines because I am one now. <laughs> if you have a bad trip, you don't write about it. So the object is to have a really good trip so your so your work gets out there, so people notice you're doing a good job. And let's face it, fishing can be tough. You can have those days when it's really, really kind of just off, and you don't want that to happen when somebody from the press is on board with you. But um, in, in my world, I was really lucky. I had, I had some outstanding good trips uh, when there was somebody on board that was going to write an article about it. One of these people um, was he, he. He came from Canada, and I'll talk about him a little later. But he was all about bucket list, and a lot of people are. Um, I when I was a guide, I would get contacted by email generally, and somebody would say, "I've never caught a tarpon." That was a big one in our area on the southwest coast of Florida. Tarpon is that's pretty key. And uh, uh, the biggest, probably the biggest and the best. I mean, you could argue that permit is in that too, but the permit is kind of an offshore. It's not like hunting permit on the flats and the keys or sight fishing a permit. It's well, you do kind of sight. They swim by in schools, so I eh, well, you get what I mean. It's just different. But the tarpon was the big one, and it was usually somebody saying, you know, I want to get a tarpon. Uh, I've got, and they would list all these fish that they've caught all over the U.S. and some over the world. You know, everything. Just everything, anything you could name. Um, uh, so they would say, you know, I got to add this. This is on my bucket list. I've been thinking about this for years, that kind of thing. And so I would say, okay, well, let's book a trip. But I would explain to them, tarpon can be really, really finicky. And season's good. You know, you, you start fishing in May, June, July. You're, you've got a really good chance of going after tarpon. Got a really good chance of getting that bucket fish. But the reality is tarpon uh, can be real snooty and standoffish and terrible, <laughs> just terrible, which I guess is what the enjoyment of fishing for them is all about, is trying to beat them. So I would recommend booking at least two days. And uh, you guys, you know, I tell them, if you get it on the first day and you want to bow out on day two and save a little, that's fine with me because I have enough people that are is standing in line to book that I'll just, I'll call somebody else and say, Hey, I have an opening that just popped up, but I would recommend you do at least two and like a Monday, Wednesday or Tuesday, Thursday, something in the week. So you're away from a lot of other, but no, nothing on the weekend, stay the heck away from the weekend. And invariably that would work out nicely and they'd get their tarpon. Um, then there were others. I mean, there were people that showed up. They wanted the, uh, they wanted the backcountry slam, which is a sea trout, a redfish and a snook. That's a bucket list the item. They wanted to have those three in one day, so we would arrange that. Some of them just wanted a big snook. Some of them wanted a snook on the beach. Some of them wanted a 40-inch snook. Okay, that's that's reaching, just a touch. Every time you come out with me, I tell you what, we will start with snook, and we'll work our butts off to get you on one, but I'm not going to promise you an over 40-inch snook because I know how hard they are to get. Um and when I get one, I'm terribly excited, <laughs> like a recent Keys trip where I actually got two of them. Um, but, you know, you have, to, you have to really, really just tell people, you have to be honest up front and say, this is going to be a really tough fish to catch. And then the offshore uh, on the southwest coast was Permit. That was a big one. Big grouper. Goliath grouper, surprisingly. People really wanted a Goliath grouper. That was on their list because they'd heard about it. It's one of the biggest fish we have on the West Coast. Um, I mean, they're just huge. They fight like crazy. Uh, tackle busters, rod busters. I've seen rods broken. Um, so uh, that's that was another big one. 
Um, and then there was the little stuff too. I mean, I can't say that a guy who's really, or a gal who's really serious about this will have a book and you can buy these uh, online or from, you know, stores, fishing shops. They, it's literally a book where you list all your catches and, um, they would just, I mean, they'd go nuts for this stuff. They would have everything in there that they caught with details on like the day and where and what state and all that kind of stuff. And and they would show me, they'd say, okay, here's, here's what I would like to get, what I just mentioned. But along with that, I'd say, do you have a ladyfish on there? Do you have a sheep's head? Do you have mangrove snapper? Um, and you'd be surprised. They're like, no, no. Have you ever caught a bluefish? Which, by the way, on the West Coast, certain times of year, we had bluefish runs. Um so I would throw those at them and say, you know, look at this. But I think what was cool about the West Coast is on any given day, if you did both the inside and the outside, you could accumulate about 20 species. You'd have to work at it and you'd have to move. You, don't, you can't just sit in one spot and, you know, get five redfish, which is fun. Don't get me wrong. But, you know, moving to certain areas, moving to creek openings, moving to washouts, moving to sandbars or sand drop-offs, moving to passes, offshore, Offshore rock piles, wrecks, every, everything you have has all these different little species on it. And in the world of the bucket list keeper, the, the fisherman who's doing a real honest-to-goodness bucket list, everything counts. And so that's what's, what's pretty important about this. I mentioned the tarpon early on and first off, and the reason I did that is because I still feel on the West Coast that's the most difficult one to put on the bucket list list or to, or to check off, I should say. Um, but it can be done. Uh, some tips for you. Uh, hire a guide that has tarpon experience and has worked tarpon. Uh, a lot of guides don't. I mean, it, it may sound like they do or they want to, but you got certain guys on all coasts of Florida who specialize in tarpon. That's what they do. They love fishing for tarpon, and those are the guys you need to talk to first. Um, tarpon fishing's pricey, especially if you have to book an all-dayer all or two all-dayers. It ain't going to be cheap. Uh, but if you really want that fish, that's that's how you're going to go about it. I used to start looking for them in April. A lot depends on weather. Uh, the migration of tarpon up to the western coast of Florida, so we're out of the Keys, uh, usually started in April and sometimes late March. But it, a lot depended on water temperature and weather and things like that for these fish. And, to, and you can track them. I mean, you can keep track of it by simply watching fishing reports. If you're coming to Florida and you really, really want to get one early, go to the Keys. Uh, a lot of people fish the bridges in the Keys. Isla Mirada is a hot spot. Marathon, uh, Long Key. There's a whole bunch of areas down there where the guides go strictly after tarpon that time of year. It's a little tricky in that area. I'm not going to fool you. You are fishing near a great big highway bridge, US-1, you know, the overseas highway. And, and those tarpon know all about those bridges. <laughs> so it, it depreciates your odds <laughs> ever so slightly. Uh, so you want to make sure that, you know, you check with the guide and he'll, he'll let you know what's going on and how they're moving. They migrate from there up into the um, uh, lower 10,000 islands, Marco Island, uh, off of, that's off of Everglades City as well eventually make their way to Naples, and then they come up into the uh, uh, Sanibel area. And what's nice about the Sanibel area is the tarpon seemed to park there for a while. So the hot spot for me personally was May and June. Those were two good months, 60 days worth of tarpon fishing. Uh, they'll also uh, hang in there a lot of times, weather permitting, food in the area is still there. They'll be there July, August as well, sometimes as late as September, but that's pretty rare. 
Near that area, of course, is the famous Boca Grande Pass. If you just have to get a tarpon, you can hire a Boca Grande guard, guard, guide, and and basically they'll take you out in the pass. They'll drop uh, baits down, hook up, and hope you get it. And you're crowded in. I'm not going to kid you. Most days are a minimum of 15, 20 boats, sometimes more in the pass uh, working to get a tarpon. Uh, it's a pretty good way to get your bucket list tarpon. But it's not, in my opinion, it's not a really fun way. Um, I mean, well, you get it done. Don't get me wrong. And, and I respect the guys that do it. It's just, it's nuts. And it's a spectacle. It's definitely worth seeing. So no doubt about it. That's probably going to be your toughest. And then the other one is going to be the snook. Uh, I'm not I, Redfish, while it's not easy, it's very doable every single day. And sea trout are definitely doable as part of a slam. But the, uh, the snook can be... I don't know. Some days it's just on. Some days you just catch them right and left everywhere you go. And other days they just don't seem to care. Um, one thing you need to know about snook is that snook are um, tropical. They don't like cold water. When the water gets down in the 60s, they don't eat very well. Um, matter of fact, they just go and park. They'll usually hide out in the islands or mangrove or anywhere that they can just get away from the cold. Lower, lower creek openings where you know warmer water from springs is coming out, that kind of stuff. So searching for them. And the reason I'm telling you this is the majority of people I had searching for it were people that came to Florida in the winter to enjoy our weather. So they would come from up north. They would head down here after Christmas, around New Year's, and they would park themselves January, February in a big chunk of March and then go home as soon as spring sprung up north. Those are like the three hardest months to find snook. You will find them. I mean, you can catch them. And you hope to goodness if the weather, if you get a nice warm spell that lasts a week or two, those snook will definitely be around. They'll definitely move out around the mangrove islands, near passes, things like that. And they'll be much more active because they get hungry when the water starts to warm a little. But if you have cold front after cold front, it's just a really bad time to put that on your bucket list. And the best time to do snook on a bucket list is the same time as tarpon come down in the summer. And uh, that's when the spawn happens for snook. They start to move out to the beaches, and you can literally catch them right off the beach. I don't want you to think you can't get one in the winter. It's just a lot harder to get one in the wintertime. Now, let's talk Florida Keys. We're going to move down south. I'm actually moving south. <laughs> I'll be a Key Largo resident here shortly. Looking forward to it. I'm trying to get these podcasts recorded and just kind of throw them up there for uh, delivery on every Tuesday. But it's going It's wow, moving is hectic. What, what, I know if I wasn't going to Key Largo, if I wasn't going to the Florida Keys, I wouldn't be doing this, <laughs> but I'm really looking forward to it. So let's talk about the Keys a little bit. The species there are relatively the same, but different. Um, it's a different way of going about it because in the Florida Keys, you have very clear water. So a great deal of sight fishing is done. You have to be stealthier. You have to really kind of well, first of all, hire a guide. And then once you learn what's going on, if you're going to move there, you want to get a boat, you want to practice yourself with a kayak or a boat, you can. But it's an enormous body of water. There's so much water. You have, if you go look at the Florida Keys, you have a string of coral islands that run all the way from Key Largo to Key West with tons of water on either side. So you have the Atlantic Ocean on one side, you have Florida Bay, and also the Gulf of Mexico, technically, when you get down a little further. So you really have three bodies of water around you. And those bodies of water are enormous. When you get in the water in Isla Mirada, you can't see the tip of Florida. You can drive up north, though, I don't know, 10 miles or so before you really start to see a flamingo. So it's big. And, and that is troublesome in itself. So if you have a bucket list and there's fish you want to catch on the bucket list, do yourself a favor. 
hire a guide. It's going to be your simple way, simplest way to get it done. The species down there are also about the same. There's a couple of big differences. Number one is the tarpon, of course, but that's probably not the number one bucket list fish. I would say the big number one in the Florida Keys is going to be permit. Uh, permit are they're tough. <laughs> That's all there is to it. I have been on a boat coming up on a school of permit where you literally pull the boat for a half a mile. You, you see the push. You know where they are. You know that they're working on this flat that you've been on before. And you start to set up and you see them moving and you get right on them and you make the cast and they split and go right around the fly or right around the bait and leave as if they have known you were there the entire time. It is maddening. Other times they cooperate. Other times they're very hungry and they'll and they'll whack whatever lands in the water. But you just never know when that's going to happen. I'd have to rate them right up there. It's probably one of the toughest fish to catch. Right behind that's the bonefish. The bonefish are more susceptible to bait. So I mean, if you do throw a little shrimp or small crabs or stuff like that in the water, uh, the bonefish is more apt to take it as long as he hasn't seen you and doesn't know that you're there. Bonefish are extremely skittish anything will set them off. I mean, if you cast a line over their head, you're done. If you put something too close to them, you're done. If they see your shadow or something from the boat, uh, a little, I don't know, you, you close a lid too hard, it's over. So you have to, it's, it's stealth, ultimate stealth to get on bonefish. Um, I can't wait to get down there with my kayak because I think a kayak and bonefish are just made for each other. A low profile, it's going to be harder to see them. I'll have to watch for pushes in the water. The thing I'm familiar with is seeing how you'll see these little trails and you'll know that they're moving in a school. But visually, actually seeing it without having altitude, without being up on a boat or up on a polling platform, I'm sure will be trickier. But I'm, I'm willing to give it a try. But those, those fish are, are wonderful. They're, they have to be probably the speediest fish you'll ever hook. When you hook one, it takes off like it's shot out of a cannon. And they're pretty good size in the Keys. You, you know, you get some really, really nice bonefish down in the Florida Keys. Hot spots are around, I'd say around Alamrata. There are other places, but Alamrata is the place that I like to hit for them. So we have permit bonefish tarpon. And then, of course, there are snook and there are redfish and there are sea trout. I mean, you, you can get them all in this area, which leads to something to, called you know, backwater slams, keys slams, grand slams, all kinds of things where people count the combination of fish in one day. So, for example, the big one, in my opinion, is tarpon, permit, bonefish. You get the one of each of those in a day, man. You, that's just serious. You, you should buy the T-shirts. What you should do? That's like that's big time bragging rights. Oh yeah, I'd be telling all my friends about that one. <laughs> and then, of course, you've got the typical one, the tarp, the tarpon, and the uh, snook redfish. I mean, that's considered a backcountry slam. So there's all these different combos you'll hear people talk about offshore. Florida Keys offer things like sailfish, um, and that's a biggie. I mean, that one, that counts a lot. Sailfish are tough to come by. Um, it's usually well offshore. Uh, you'll find them in under 100 feet of water. I mean, you'll find them in on the, on the edges of the close-in reefs, but uh, you really just have to have an eye out for them. Usually, when we got involved in sailfish, we'd be, we'd be trolling for mahi-mahi, or another or other game fish like that and then all of a sudden one appears you know either behind you trailing you or it pops up off to the side and you do the best you can to hook up so sailfish i would say in the on the ocean side would be number one 
I mean, obviously you could include things like Marlin and stuff, but that's, that's, I don't know, that's in a whole world of its own. I'm trying to give you something that, that makes sense. And then later on you can graduate to the really big boys. And then you might want to take a trip to Mexico or someplace like that, Guatemala. Um, anyway, there's mahi. I mentioned that. Wahoo. I, first of all, it's, it is my favorite eating fish. I love them. Um, Wahoo is like a, a mix between a kingfish and a barracuda. Uh, it's a long, I think it's a beautiful fish, um, bluish in color. It has stripes on the side, teeth. Um, it's an extremely crazy hitter. Um, trolled bait is typically what I've used. I've never, I don't remember even throwing a fly at one. I maybe have to try that. But uh, it's, it's one of those things where they usually come up uh, behind the boat when you're doing a troll, like the mahi, and usually with the mahi in some, well, not always, but it could be with the mahi. Um, and then you have dozens of other species offshore, the Florida Keys themselves. You have, uh, and, and the East Coast. I should include the East Coast in this. Um, you have all kinds of snapper, all kinds of grouper, uh, varieties that you may not have ever heard of. Uh, the other night for dinner, I had yellow edge grouper. Uh, you'll have to look it up. Um, delicious. Probably one of the best pieces of fish I've ever had. And it was the first time I've ever eaten it, to tell you the truth. Uh, yellow edge grouper, it's called. But they also have the usual, the Goliath black, red grouper, uh, things like that. So gag, it's it's all available. So there are multiple, multiple species off, off the coast. Now, one thing we don't talk too much about, which is definitely on the bucket list stuff, is sharks. And you know, it's, it's funny, I... While the East Coast has them, no doubt about it, I did a lot better on the West Coast when I was fishing sharks. I think just from the fact that you only had to go out into like 13, maybe 15 feet of water, set up a chum line with cut fish, and it didn't take long for them to appear if you knew where to go. Um, uh, most of us that fish the West Coast of Florida, especially near the Sanibel area, um, Fort Myers Beach, knew about a there's a trough out there there's a highway called it the shark highway and these sharks come through there on a regular basis and it was pretty much a done deal it was pretty it was hard not to get one there it had to be really crappy weather or the tide would have to be backwards um to to really cause you pain but most of the time they were in there uh the variety was pretty amazing of course the usual black tip bulls and hammerheads would come through there but you'd get a lot of others you get duskies and sharp nose and spinners and um just other sharks that you wouldn't expect to be there were there and you know, even the little bonnet heads and things like that would show up in this area um shark fishing is a is a is an art form. It really, I know it sounds like, oh, it's simple. You just go through and throw bait in the water and they come. No, it doesn't really work that way. If you really want to be successful at it, uh, you learn tides and wind work with you. you. You want them to work with you. So in other words, in this particular area, the best thing in the world was a, uh, an inbound tide and a south wind. And so that, what that does is the inbound tide is moving generally slightly north in the area that we were in um, off of Fort Myers Beach. And then you would also have a south wind pushing it so that when you laid baits in the water, and usually it's just cut baits, all you're doing on, on a stout rod with, with lots of metal on the end of it so they couldn't bite through it, um, you would set that out there and let it drift. And it would eventually sink to the bottom as long as the current wasn't too strong. Sometimes we'd weight them, but you usually didn't have to. And then you chum. You cut chum, and, and, and that push, that, that water and, that, and the tide, the tide and the wind, rather, help move that 
uh, stink out into the water, and the sharks just come to it. I mean, they're already in that area. You're already looking for something you know is probably around. Um, most exciting catch and the rarest fish of all can be caught there, the sawfish. Um, sawfish were really nearly reached extinction, and then Florida started to do a lot of work on protection, and they, and in my opinion, have done a great job because I've never seen so many of them. When I first started guiding, it was like one a year, maybe, if you were lucky. Now it's not unusual to see them on a regular basis in certain areas, um, all the way down to the 10,000 islands. Uh, so the sawfish is certainly real high on the bucket list for people. Um, we caught one, I'm going to say it was at least 10 feet in length, maybe closer to 11 if you count all the, the saw in the front. The thing was huge. Um, to catch nurse sharks in there too, that, that made me remember nurse. Nurse look really, sim- really similar uh, to the uh, sawfish except for the, the saw, of course. Big hammerheads. Oh, I love hammerheads. I know there's just something about a hammerhead in the water when you're on a boat and your boat is 18, 19 feet long and you see the, the hammerhead in there that looks like he's 10 or 11. And it's just, it's incredible. Um, and they are, uh, they're serious business. I mean, they really are. And the West Coast of Florida, the Gulf Coast of Florida has got some huge ones. Uh, no, no question about it. And then... There are the freshwater bucket fish, of course. I mean, Florida's covered in freshwater. The entire United States is covered in freshwater lakes. Uh, for me, when I moved up north, um, I, I really got into bass. I didn't bass fish much in Florida. I was, I was a saltwater kid, lived near the shore, so that's pretty much what I did. I learned about smallmouth bass through, through a friend up there and, and discovered that the smallmouth was more exciting than the largemouth, to be honest with you. It pulled harder, jumped, it was crazier, and I love fishing small streams for them. So when you come down to Florida, guess what you don't get? Smallmouth. <laughs> They're not here. Colder water fish, they like it up north. However, we do get a lot of exotics, and that's what people focus on when they come down into Florida, just south of, a, of the Okeechobee, or in line with the Okeechobee, I guess you could say. Uh, the peacock bass, that's a big one, uh, clown knives, and snakeheads. Those are the three that I think of that, that people really chase the most. Now, understand that peacocks were introduced. There are South American fish that were introduced to control the population of tilapia that was getting out of hand, which, by the way, is also available. <laughs> Another bucket fish. But the clown knives and snakeheads weren't, along with a zillion other cichlids. Uh, people have these in aquariums. And when they got tired of them, they dumped them in the backyard into their canals. And in Florida, where it stays warm all the time, those fish grew up. And and they're, it's bad. I mean, it is bad. The FWC, Fish and Wildlife, they are asking people to, to take them out of the water. When you catch them, don't release them. They've given, they've given the okay to kill them. They don't want them back in there because what will happen is they'll eventually forage enough to where they will literally take all the food away from all the fish that belong there, the native fish. And so it's become a bit of a problem. But in the world of bucket list, it's become a business with a lot of these people, a lot of guides in our area. Over here, I live on the East Coast now in Fort Lauderdale. They're all about getting peacocks, clown knives, and snakeheads. And I got to tell you right now, the strike of a snakehead is probably one of the most amazing things you've ever seen. They love frogs. So you walk a frog across the surface, they smack it so hard. I mean, if you're not holding on tight, you'll lose a rod. Uh, but they're incredibly, incredible fighters. And, and I got to admit, I like it, but at the same time, they're not really supposed to be here. Who does this? Who goes after bucket fish? Who goes after the bucket list? Everybody. 
I'm not kidding you. I, I, it, there wasn't anybody on the boat that didn't couldn't tell you a story about the exotic or the weird or the unusual that they caught somewhere else. You know, the guy from Canada who's focuses on salmon and, and things like that. I heard all kinds of great stories. So it seems like every fishing person out there um, would go after these fish. That goes back to my when I first mentioned my writer from Canada, he came down to do an article for a magazine, a Canadian fishing magazine. And his he called me and he said, listen, what I want to do is I've heard about all the multi-species that you have. So I want to spend a couple days with you um, doing nothing but getting as many species as we can for a magazine article. And I thought, well, that'll be fun. Yeah, I'll do that. That'll be great. And so he showed up and we started off on day one. And what I did was I did backcountry mangrove areas, uh, backwater cuts, small creeks, things like that. And then we worked on the bays. And then the next day we worked on nearshore passes offshore. And all told, we had 21 species. So basically a two-day count of 21 species. And he was thrilled. I was too. I mean, you know, I'd never really counted. I, I remember one day where I did 17 species in one day. I had that one locked in my brain. But we did, in two days, we did 21 different species of fish. And it was, we counted everything, folks. We're, you know, puffers, catfish. There's two types of cats, by the way. Snook, red, trout, you know, all the, the snapper, groupers, anything we got was counted. And I, I had a really good time with it. He took, a, he took a photo of each one and put it in the article um, and really talked it up. We, we actually did, you know, what the baits we use and how we went about finding these fish. And it was really weird after that article ran in Canada. I got all kinds of calls to do that, which led me to this whole bucket list thing that I'm talking about. It's kind of, it's kind of how all this began. Last but not least, before I go, I want to talk about um, the queen of bucket list. <laughs> Her name is Linda Dinkert, and she's the wife of Captain Dave Dinkert down in Isla Mirada in the Keys. Dave is a well-renowned guide. Um, as a matter of fact, one of the first trips that Janelle and I ever did in the Florida Keys with the guide was with Captain Dave Dinkert, and it was worth it. We had an excellent, that was, you know, that's 25, 26 years ago, I think. Um, she is a member of, Linda is a member of the International Women's Fishing Association, the IWFA. And every year they have a contest for multi-species, most like size, everything you can imagine. And they win trophies and things for, for, for participating in this. And I watch Linda on Facebook and she travels literally all over the U.S. to get as many species as she can to win this thing. Not to mention her husband is probably one of the best guides in the business in the Keys. So I'm sure that has something to do with it. And then there's this kicker. Their daughter's involved in this as well. Her name is Brooke, uh, Brooke Black. And uh, she she also gets into this. And, and they so they go together. They go looking for all these species and size. So at the recent award ceremony, Linda received the K. Rabovich Award. What that is is for the most species caught in the year. She caught 64 different species. Now think about that. <laughs> 64 different. She got the trophy. Now get this. Her daughter, Brooke, was the grand winner. She actually beat her mom out, was the grand winner of the Andy uh, Crowen Shield Award. And that was for the most overall points. Okay, so let me explain. The point system, uh, her points were 161,673 points. Okay, 160-something thousand points. 
The points are awarded per fish that you catch during the year. And the point system, I looked at the points. I saw only one that was like seven or eight. That was a sailfish. The rest of them are around anywhere from one point to maybe four points. So just do the math. Just divide, say, three points into that number, and you come up with an astounding number of fish that were caught. Now, this is not a multi-species. This is, in other words, if you caught 50 ladyfish, they all count points. But they're only going to count a point or two or piece. So let's just say it's 100 points. Getting to 161,000 in a year is like, I, I'm, I figure that Brooke must fish all the time, constantly, but I got a big kick out of the fact that, that those two ladies, mom, daughter, from the Florida Keys, from a guy that I know pretty well, really won the, won the deal, got the top prizes, and I think that's really great. So that's really what it's all about. I mean, bucket lists are, uh, it's serious. People really go after these things. Um, and by the way, if you're interested, if you're ladies, if you're listening out there, you can join the um, the uh, IWFA, which is the International Women's Fishing Association, and become a part of this. They do a lot of great work, by the way, with with women. Been around for a very long time, and it's a great organization. So you might want to check it out. But uh, if you got that bucket list, man, start start doing your research, figure out what you want to add to it, and uh, and then jump on the bandwagon, man, and become a, a bucket list chaser. Thank you so much for listening. I appreciate you taking the time to tune in. If you enjoyed this podcast, please tell a friend and leave a review. My podcasts are scheduled for each and every Tuesday. Catch You Outdoors is presented by the Waypoint Podcast Network. It's available on Waypoint and by many of your favorite podcast providers. The Facebook page is Catch You Outdoors. The website is waypointtv.com and catchyoutdoors.com. Until next time, get outdoors and enjoy. Enjoy.